Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast in this week's Adult Bible Studies. We continue our study on the prophet Elijah, and this week we really continue his next interaction with this widow woman that we were introduced to last week. Don't have her name. She would have probably been despised in her time, but she's got two important stories in the Bible, and we're going to learn from one of them this week. So without further ado, here is this week's Adult Bible Study. Let's take our Bibles and go back to 1 Kings 17 is where we're going to be today. 1 Kings 17, I am sore. I walked all day at the Holiday World yesterday. And so, and then those wooden rides, if you've ever done them, you know they will absolutely beat you up. And so, I'm still going to move around a little bit, but if you see me wincing a little bit, it's probably because of that. But I'm looking forward to this text. We're, we've, we've been looking at Elijah's life in this series, and we are and we're introduced to Elijah as he approached the throne room of a very wicked king with an even more wicked wife, Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God to anger than all the kings that were before him. Then he married Jezebel, who introduced Baal worship to Israel, the northern kingdom, and these two were a tag team pair that did a lot to try to, to hinder the people of Israel and to destroy their spiritual lives, and God uh, pronounced some judgment on them. And so it, when we were introduced to Elijah, he walks into that throne room and he says, and we believe it to be based on Deuteronomy, when he would have known that promise, and it talks about God shutting up the heavens for their disobedience, but he said, it will not rain until I say so. And he knew, I'm not going to say so until God tells me. And, and so from that moment, and again, it would have taken some time for them to see the effect of that pronouncement that he made. But in that moment, it stopped the rain for three and a half years. When he did that, and we got into last week's lesson, God told him, I want to take you away from there. And I want you to go hide yourself where? Let's get, get you guys involved real quick. Where was he going to hide out at first? A creek. What was the name of that creek, by the way? Ooh, this is a tough one. It starts with a C. It starts with a C. Cherith. Now let's go a little deeper. What does the word Cherith mean? Could have been. It doesn't mean brook. It is a brook. What's Cherith mean? To cut. Means to cut. Remember, God was cutting away in a sense in his life. It seems to be he's pulling him away from uh, what would be potential to be full of pride as a prophet who just pronounces to a wicked king. He's bringing him in isolation and he's training him. He's, it's kind of like the University of the Brook Cherith. He is learning about what God wants to do in his life and he is, he is pronounced about the power of God, but he's learning about the power of God. Who fed him or what fed him? What did he eat? What did he say? From ravens fed him. They brought him the meat and the food, which ravens don't typically do that sort of thing. And so it was God orchestrating this in the, in the morning, the afternoon. He was bringing his food to him by ravens. Then that brook dried up. And when that brook dried up, he went from there and he was ordered to go to whose house? Very good. A widow woman. Yeah, a widow woman. Which widow women in the Bible were... were low class, poor. They didn't have like some of the programs that we'd have in our modern day. Very poor, very outcast. 
um, and, and very abused in some cases. And so this was not the likely place you would think if your prophet who just stood up to the king, you would take him to some big fancy place. But no, he went to the brook and then he went to this widow's house. When he got to the widow's house, he, he asked her, she was on her last bit. Remember, she was said, hey, all, all I can do is, is, is fix this for me and my son, and we were just going to fix this and eat it and then just wait to die. That's all we've got. They had nothing. The land had been dried up. I mean, she had nothing, and he said, feed me first. And remember I said it was interesting, and I still kind of carry this theme in my mind as I'm thinking through the story. God was teaching Elijah to prepare Elijah for what we know to be chapter 18 in his future. But at the same time, God looked down on the lady that most of the world would say is an outcast. Everybody would know Elijah. I mean, Elijah's famous. He's, he's, he's a prophet now. and I mean, he's famous in our eyes now thousands of years later. Of course God's thinking about Elijah, right? Because he's big and important. But eh, was God really care about a widow? God cares about us all. He loves us all. And so as God is working on the faith of Elijah... He's working on the faith of a widow that no one really cares about. And in that moment, God's using and testing and preparing both of them. And she had to give up her, first, her last bit of meal to this man and trust by faith that the God of Israel would provide for her. And God did. And so she gave of that. And Elijah said, God, this meal will not shorten until it rains. And, and they just constantly had food and a meal. And she was able to raise her kid. And everything was happily ever after, right? Well, that brings us to this week's lesson. Look at chapter 17, starting in verse number 17. It says, And it came to pass after these things. So some time has went on. After these things, that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore, that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. Now let me stop for a second. We're going to go down through the rest of the text here in just a little bit. But I want you to notice the, the burden of this lady to start things out. Notice this burden. Her son had died. I mean, she had had this moment that we've read about, it's recorded, and she'd had this moment of faith, and she'd given her food, and everything was good. She trusted God, she obeyed God, she made the sacrifice, so surely God, you're just going to make everything go well now for me. You already are giving me this blessing of a miracle. She got to see something that a lot of people don't get to see, God working a miracle. She got to be with this prophet and, and spend some time with this prophet. Surely God is going to make everything good for her now. And then her son dies. And, and these are the type of things in our life that we struggle with. Because we, we see God do and answer prayer, and then something happens in our life, and we're thinking, God, why are you allowing this? And she had that same burden. She had the burden of her son dying. She was burdened over the current state of him. You know, I think about the burdens that we carry today. I think, I mean, we could... Probably if I went around this room, if I started at Cindy and ended at Zach, and I just went around, or even Brad in the back, and I said, hey, what? And I'm not going to, so don't worry. But if I said, what are some burdens you're carrying? Imagine in a room this size, 30 people or whatever, there's a lot of burdens that we're carrying. Some of the burdens we wouldn't want to talk about maybe, and 
Some we would. Some would surprise some of us. Some of, sometimes the burdens are physical things. Sometimes they're family burdens that we carry. Sometimes maybe it's a lost family member or, or some, maybe it's a backslidden family member. You know what? Sometimes we have burdens within our own marriage and everything seems fine. Maybe we have burdens with our kids and they're running in the Sunday school right now and everything seems fine. But inside we know, hey, this is, a, this is just a season right now that's not good. We don't go around talking about it. You don't go shaking hands and say, hey, good to have you today. Guess, hey, I'm struggling. We're struggling right now, but hey, we're, you know, our marriage, he, he's been rotten or she's been rotten. But hey, we're, we don't talk about it. That's one of the things I think in our, I, I can only speak of independent Baptist churches because that's all I've known. But a lot of times we want to look like we've got it all together and we're afraid just to say, hey, I'm struggling. Because we fear if we say, hey, I'm struggling, people are going to start to judge our struggles. And it happens a lot. And it's wrong. But we fear that. And because we've seen it, or because we've done it, we have to put on a facade that everything's okay, and it leads to a lot of maybe some, um, some depression, discouragement, some struggles in marriages, struggles with kids, and a lot of that. And, I've, and I understand all of those things, but what I'm saying is we have burdens that we carry. And we have to get to the place where we admit, hey, there's some burdens, some work burdens, as I've said, some physical burdens maybe that we're carrying. Some emotional burdens we may be carrying. Some mental uh, burdens we may be carrying. Sometimes you just, you know, I'm 42 years old. Sometimes you hit an age. You know, I'm learning. I haven't really ran. I don't think I've ran into the midlife crisis thing too much. Maybe a little bit <laughs> mentally I think about it. I'm not driving a motorcycle and growing my hair out. I'm just leaving it short for now, you know. But I mean, but I mean, you know, people hit those things. And I talk to some people that are in their 40s or early, late 30s or early 40s. Talked to someone recently. They're like, yeah, it's hit me really hard right now. And it can be difficult. Transitions in life. What's that? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure. I'm not talking about on the physical vibe. Maybe I feel a little bit. But, I'm, I mean, people go through some, some, some difficult times. We carry burdens. And so she carried this burden, and it was her son was, was dead. And so she came running to, like in verse 20, well, I'm going to finish up verse 19 because I'm going to come back to make some points here. But Elijah took him from her bosom. So she carried her son. He took him from her, carried him up into a loft where he abode, and he laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou, brought, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn? sojourn? By slaying her son, even Elijah, notice his approach. He's shocked by this. God, what are you doing? This lady helped me out. You used this lady, and now you're going to allow this. And though it's not one of my points, and I'm just leading up an introduction, but you notice that he wasn't disrespectful to God, but he was bold in his approach to God. I don't think he was disrespectful, but he's saying, God, what, what is going on here? And it's okay when you at times in our prayers to say, God, I I don't know what's going on. There's a wrestling match that goes on. We still have a flesh. And then it is emotional of a flesh, but faith will still drive you. Faith is what's driving you to God. But the emotions are what's making you come with passion. And I and I'd much rather see someone come with passion by faith to God than someone just be like, well, whatever. That's just what God does. No. Get a hold of God. God is moved by our passions as well. And so this burden has come upon them, and, and she's wanting to see life again. And, and let, me, uh, let me get to the end of the story real quick, and then we'll come back to the middle. All right? In the end of the story, 
He's alive, okay? I've just killed everything for you. But at the end of the story, he's alive. So what gets me is what happens in the middle to get him from dead to alive. And not the, not the, I, I want us to leave here with the exact formula that Elijah did. But what I want us to say is this. You may be in a burden right now, on whatever today's date is. It's September 10th. You may be in a burden right now in your life, and you're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. Either you're going to get through it by God's grace, and something God's going to help you, you may never answer it in the way you want. As you know, as I've talked about, I had a son who died. God didn't choose to resurrect my son. He didn't choose to heal my son. I prayed passionately in the hour that I was stuck in a room in absolute chaos as he had things all over his, his cords and everything all, all in his uh, face and body. And God didn't do what he did here. And it makes it tough to teach this lesson. But the, the truth is God doesn't always do this. So we'll look at a Bible story and say, well, if God didn't do it here, why won't he do it for my son? Or why won't he do it for my grandma? Why won't he do it for my, what, you know, God did it here, he doesn't do it for me. The answer is not always that. That's what God wanted to do in this situation. In my situation, I had to say goodbye to my son. That was it. He's buried right over here in Cloverdale. That was it. But how does God, what happens in the middle can help? Because sometimes God's answer is, I'm going to give you grace to get through this. I'm not going to change the big circumstance that you want but I'm going to give you the grace to get through this if you trust me by faith. Other times, it may be like the work situation that we worry about or we're burdened about. It's going to work itself out. We're just overwhelmed by the burden of it. Sometimes the physical stuff, God says, hey, it's going to be there. You're going to feel it, but I'm going to help you through these different stages and seasons of your life. There's going to be burdens, but we're going to get through them but what happens? What, what, what is some, some things that we see in this text? And then we'll back up and get to them. So I'm trying to make sure I covered everything that I wanted to say there. But let's, let's, let's look at verse 17 again. I, want to, I noticed, first of all, when I think about this woman, I noticed her desperation in verse 17. Because she came and she, it says that in verse 18, she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance to slay my son? Now I put no emotion into that. But can you hear her emotion in that? <clears throat> if you've ever been through something as, as difficult as this, you can imagine the desperation in which she was praying. The desperation that she had that she brought him to the, the man of God and was asking. This was not a casual prayer. Be like, you know what? It, it'd be nice, Elijah, if you could maybe get a hold of God and do something about it. No, this was desperation. She was praying for her son. She was burdened. And I wonder when is the last time we got desperate about the burdens of our lives? Now, it would seem just common sense, okay? And that's when a lot of people pray. I got a bad thing happen. Oh, I remember there's a God. I need to pray. But there are times we become numb in life, and we don't even pray about our burdens. We just become numb. And we just kind of go on in a depressed mode, like, well, this is just what happens. This is who I am. It's just everything bad happens to me. My parents used to call me Eeyore when I was a kid. And I've said this before, so forgive me if you've heard me, but my parents used to say I was Eeyore as a kid because I was negative and pessimistic about everything. So that tendency is there for me. I've since kind of switched. My dad will still say it from the pulpit sometimes, and usually when he's done, I'll say, Dad, I've kind of 
God's helped me with that a little bit. I'm not always the best. I still have. Now, don't hold this against me for all my friends in here, all right? My wife sells Scentsy, not a commercial. They had an Eeyore stuffed animal Scentsy doll. That's just mouse. <clears throat> so they all got it for me. I have it. And I have it on purpose. It's now. It's not in my office now. It needs to get back to my office. I think it's... It's not in my bed spot, okay, but, it's, but it is at a place where I can see it every day. But here's why I, I admire the gift of the God of but here's why I wanted it. Because I, every time I look at that silly Eeyore, I want to remember who I was and not go back to that person. Because I'm telling you, even this week in, in, in thinking about the story I'm going to read, I had this thought that came to my mind. God, you did it there, but you didn't do it for me. A thought comes to my mind. And then this thought comes to my mind. It's just my flesh. This thought comes to mind because everything bad is going to happen to me. It just happens to come to my mind. And if I, in, if I entertain that thought for a long time and add a little sad music in there, man, I can get depressed for a whole week. So we have to wrestle. We have to, we have to know it's okay to be desperate, but take our desperation to God and don't allow Satan to whisper the negative thoughts. He already knows you're pessimistic, maybe. He already knows your weak spots. He's going to whisper these thoughts, but in faith, we have to get desperate and bring them back to God and say, God, I'm bringing you this. Now, your burdens may be different. You may be burdened about a child. You may be burdened about a family member. You may be burdened about uh, our country, whatever you're burdened about. But when's the last time you actually got desperate in prayer about what is going on in your life. We need to get desperate. I notice in this passage, when you read down through here, there was no doubt there was some, some desperation. But I noticed, secondly, not only was there desperation, but there was an examination. Did you see what she said? It's verse 18, and we don't know exactly what this means, but it's interesting. She said, What have I to do with thee, O man of God? Art thou come to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son. Interesting phrase. Now I will say, first of all, this is a normal fear. I've, heard, I've said it, and I've heard it from others. And here's what we say. Well, in my case, since I'm already using it, I'll just continue to run with it. God took my son because of sins in my life in the past, or whatever it may be. And I've heard people come to me and say, well, this happens because of sins in my life. First of all, a lot of that's just Satan. A lot of it's just chattering your head, and that's Satan. And we got to go. Are there consequences to sin? Yeah, there are consequences to sin. But it doesn't mean your family member died because of some sin you did in high school or because something you thought when you were five years old. It doesn't. None of that. None of that plays into it. God's not trying to punish us. God loves us. And so there are some things that happen because of consequences of sin, and it's just natural. If you get in a car and you're drinking and driving and you hit somebody and you kill somebody, that happened because of a consequence of a sin that you did. But that's an obvious one. And God will forgive that, and God will give you grace to get through that. But there's other things that just happen, and we don't know the exact reason for this. And so we don't know exactly what happened, but her natural prayer, her natural thought after desperation was examination was this because of my sin and we don't know if she's talking about a sin of the past or if she's talking about something that she was currently in but she started to immediately examine her life and she was worried that the result of what her son was something the result of her own sin 
And I like her examination. It makes me ask this question. Do we ever just stop? Do we take time to examine our own lives? It shouldn't be only when some tragedy happens and we start to examine our life. But is there a daily examination process in your life? Is there any time in your life, and I think it should be when you pray. Like to me, I think any time we pray, unless it's just a quick prayer of praise to God, any time we pray, there ought to be some examination. God, is there anything between me and you right now? Here's how I, I typically, not to, typically when I pray, I start with confession. A lot of people, if you see these patterns, they end with confession. I always start with confession because the way I look at it, if there's a kink in my hose, no water's coming out the other end. If there's a kink in the fellowship with God, then, then God's not obligated to hear or answer my prayer. So I want to unkink that hose right off the bat. So when I go to pray, God, is there anything between me and you? Or I already know this is between me and you. I shouldn't have had three donuts. I should have only stuck with two. You know, no, I'm just kidding. I start thinking about all these things. I'm trying to confess them. And, and I want to be right with God. Examination so I can fellowship with God. And, and so is there times of examination? I see in this case, of course, it was in the moment of tragedy and she's desperate. But she immediately thought about her sin. She was sensitive to her sin. Wouldn't it be great if we could be sensitive to sin before the tragedy on just a normal Tuesday? And when sin comes up in our life, we say, I hate this sin. I don't want to stay here. I want to get it right. Not out of fear that something could happen, but I want to get it right out of fear that I'm out of fellowship with God. There was an examination. You know, sometimes we've got to ask God, is there any blind spot in my life? Is there any area right now that I'm just not seeing? And maybe others are seeing it, but I'm not seeing it. There was an examination I see in this. There was desperation. Then there was isolation. It said in verse 19, Elijah said, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up to a loft, a moment of isolation here, where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. He took the, the boy alone to pray. The only reason I, I think about this in isolation is I, don't th- I think Elijah could have prayed for the kid right there. I, I, don't, I don't think the isolation was like, oh, God's like, now I'm going to answer the prayer. I don't think that was it at all. So don't take that as my point. But my point is this. You know what I found? Sometimes those burdens that we're wrestling with, if we get alone with God and, and pour them out to God, it helps us work through those. We're busy, aren't we? Do you ever? We're a busy society. Even if you're retired, you're probably busy in here. We're all busy. One of the things I think about often is I have no. A lot of times I don't make the time to just um, to be alone and think. Even if you're riding in a car by yourself, what do we do? We turn on the radio. We turn on a podcast. We turn on stuff. We're constantly got noise. Constantly got noise. So the other day. I've talked about this, doing this before, and I've talked about it on the podcast, and I've done it some, but I hadn't done it in a while. And the other day, I just was driving, I don't remember where it was, maybe I was driving for lunch, or I was walking, and I was, what, I was walking on my lunch, and I thought, I'm not turning on a book, I'm not turning on a podcast, I'm not turning on music, and if a guy says hello to me, I'm not even going to listen. No, I didn't say that, but I'm not, I don't want any noise in my head right now, I just want to focus and pray, because there's always noise. I think one of the things we've gotten away from is, remember God said, be still and know that I am God. And we are not still people anymore. We are distracted people. And Sometimes it's good just to get away and just be alone. Now, if you're a hunter in here, you know that feeling when you're just up in a tree stand and it's just quiet and it's, you're all alone. 
when you can have, I've talked to some hunters, I'm not really a big, I do a little bit, I'm not a big hunter, but they'll say, man, that's time I'm just alone with God and some of my prayers in those mornings. It's because you have to be quiet. You're just sitting there quiet and freezing if it's in the winter. So you, you're just sitting there praying, but you're alone with God. When's the last time you just isolated yourself? Not as an excuse to get away from loud kids, not as an excuse. I mean, just saying, I just want to be quiet and be with God. I think it's an art that we're missing in our society today. We're so busy. There's so much. It's easy. And I feel like sometimes if I'm not listening to a podcast, I'm getting behind or I'm not listening to this, I'm missing the newest thing. Who cares? Isolation sometimes. Elijah took the boy and got alone. I don't think because he got alone, that's why he got his answer. And I'm not saying that when you do get alone and isolate, that's going to guarantee you a greater voice. I'm just saying for you, it's going to be good. For you in that moment, it's going to be good for you. There was desperation. There was examination. There was isolation. He went up into this room. But notice the determination in verse 21. Because he cried out to the Lord in verse 20. And he questioned God. Why did you bring this evil upon this widow? I've been staying with her. She's helped me out. I'm staying in her, her guest place. You've been helping me out here. All this has been going on. And so in verse 21, he stretched himself upon the child. But notice how many times. Three times. He cried upon the Lord and said, Lord, O oh Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come again to him. Just picture, take yourself back 3,000 plus years and just picture that scene. Elijah doesn't know what he's doing. He's just bouncing around trying to figure out what's going on. He didn't expect this. God didn't come give him some warning and say, hey, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I want you to do. Step one, step two, step three. God didn't do that. All of this is happening in real time. She's screaming. He finds out about it. She carries the kid. He takes the kid, goes upstairs, doesn't know what's going to happen. He just spreads himself across this kid and prays one time. And he prays something probably like this. Oh, Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come again. He gets up. Kid's still dead. Well, what do you do? There's not, he can't pull out the playbook and say, all right, God said to do this again. He don't have anything. He doesn't know. He's got to be determined. God, by faith, you're going to resurrect this kid. God, this is not going to happen. And, and so he doesn't know. So time to, he just does it again. I just, he lays over this kid and, and, and he prays probably verse 21. Oh, Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this soul come again into this him. And he gets up the second time. And there's nothing. The kid's still dead. How, what would be going through your mind? Just a rhetorical question. But what would be going through your mind after the first time, let alone after two times? It, I'm, you don't get to answer it because I said rhetorical. So I'll just answer what you may be thinking, right? I'll probably be thinking, well, maybe God just wants this kid to go. Maybe I don't have the power to do this. I've never resurrected anybody before. What am I thinking? I mean, you... you see someone that's died you the first instinct that i have is not well i'm gonna try to bring him back from the dead no i don't he's probably got so many doubts he did it once nothing he did it twice nothing but he went back a third time determination he went back that third time and he laid over that boy and he stretched himself it says and he said oh lord my god i pray thee let this child's soul come back again and the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, verse 22, and, his, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. Why didn't God do it the first time? 
I think God's still working on Elijah. I think God is showing Elijah, hey, Elijah, you need to keep coming. You need to be determined. You need to keep coming. You know what? I think Brad McClure, 3,000 plus years later, needs to know that Elijah the prophet who confronted this guy who had ravens feed him, all this stuff, he didn't even get God's attention. I say that loosely. He didn't even get God's answer the first time. He had to keep coming. And he didn't know. Because it's easy for me to pray about something and be like, well, God didn't do it. I guess I just move on. Or, or you know what? God must not. He's, he, he's punishing me. He'll just do that. No. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. You say, well, I've already passed three times. Keep coming. God didn't tell him three times. He, he just finally did it on the third time. You know what? God was preparing him, but he had to learn determination here. You say, why is it important that he learns determination? Well, you know what's going to happen in a chapter or so? I don't, remember if, I don't know if I'll have enough time to teach this part of this chapter. Maybe I will next week, though. I may add it all in there. We'll see. But you know what? He's going to pray for rain because God's, it's about time for rain, three and a half years. He's going to pray for rain. You know what? It doesn't happen. And I wonder in the back of his mind, he's like, all right, I've seen this before. I'll pray again. Praise the second time. doesn't happen. So now I'm teaching my lesson for a couple of weeks, but oh well. So then he, he prays, I think, I, I don't know. This is me. I'm going to ask Elijah when we get to heaven, okay? So don't ask him before me. I want to know the answer. Don't tell me when you get to heaven first and ask him. and then Don't do all that. I want to ask him, hey, Elijah, in the back of your mind, because of what happened with that widow, did you kind of think, yeah, watch this. God's going to do it. He's going to do it on the third one. And I think I just think when he sent his servant that third, that third time, said, hey, go check the clouds again. I'll read you that story next week. Go check those clouds again. They're going to be there this time and that third time. I just... I wonder if there's a little bit of that pride left over. I just me thinking out loud. And he's thinking, here, this is going to be the clouds. And the servant comes back the third time. He goes, what, where, what is it saying? There's no clouds. And I think at that point he went, uh-oh. God did it on the third time last time. And so he's like, well, let's go the fourth time. Nothing. Fifth time, nothing. Sixth time, nothing. I'm done at this point. There's no way I'm embarrassed. Seventh time praying next week, if I get to that lesson, I've already told you, there's a little cloud and he says, now go tell Ahab there's a sound of abundance of rain. Where did he learn that determination? Down here with this widow when nobody was watching. Nobody saw him. He was in isolation in a room and nobody saw a single thing he did. Sometimes we don't get the answers because we need all the accolades. We want people to hear about us. Now just get in isolation and talk to God. And he prayed with determination. And he got to see the expectation. He says in the next verse, And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. God heard him on the first time. And God heard him on the second time. But God taught him a great lesson for that third time. And he heard the voice of Elijah and Elijah, he says, and the, and the soul of the child came unto him again, and he revived. And the Lord, and Elijah took the child and brought him down to the chamber of the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. So there's a widow woman that's learning a lesson here too. God's working both. She was, do you, I don't think she just turned him over to Elijah and just went and sat in her chair and started turning on ESPN or something like that. I don't think so. I think she was down there praying and praying and praying. And when he handed his son, her son back, I think in that moment, her faith got challenged and encouraged as well. God's still working on both of them. 
And the Lord heard the voice, and they arrived. And what started as a great burden was now a great blessing that we're still talking about thousands of years later. Now, it's, so I wonder in our lives, what is the burden that you're carrying this morning? I, I, there's all kinds of burdens in this room. But have you been desperate about it? Has there been any examination about it? Have you got isolated to talk to God about it? Have you been determined or have you given up on it? Have you seen the expectation yet? The expectation is there because of faith. We know God can do anything. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians 3.20. But we've got to be determined. We've got to be willing to isolate, examine, and get desperate about those burdens. And I think God will take those burdens and make a blessing. Doesn't mean he's always going to revive your son. Doesn't mean he's always going to, he's going to answer it the way that you think. Because God's ways are higher than ours. But I think we've got to get desperate again in our prayer lives to God. Let's pray.